Hello, Monetization Nation. Today, I'm joined with Ivana Taylor. Ivana is the publisher of DIYMarketers.com, where small business owners get low-cost tools, tips, and strategies to do marketing on about $17 a day. Her popular Bizapalooza chat, weekly Twitter chat, teaches about 2 million small business owners each week. She's also been the contributor um, to or been a contributor to Amex Open Forum and has appeared on MSNBC. Thank you so much for joining us today, Ivana. Thank you for having me, Nathan. I'm so excited to be here. Can you start off by sharing with us something that you are super passionate about? I am super passionate about saving money and getting a lot of bang for my buck, but I really want to clarify something. I am not cheap. There's a You're difference. Using it wisely. Using it wisely. So you can't see my house. I have some very expensive things in this house. I am not cheap. It's not about not spending money. It's about getting the most bang for your buck. Like there's yeah. nothing like getting a good deal, doing big things for little amounts of money. And I, I am nuts about that personally and professionally. All right. Can you tell us your story, your journey to become an expert at DIY, inexpensive, but super effective marketing? Well, you know, Nathan, I started out in manufacturing. And what you may not know about manufacturers is that they actually are really passionate about machines and they're not really passionate about marketing. So in their world, to spend a half a million dollars on a machine and not have it running all the time is like an oops. But for them to spend $5,000 on a marketing campaign that maybe gets mediocre results is like the worst tragedy ever and they will cut that budget immediately. So there's never ever any money for marketing ever. And that is where I started. And the other thing I noticed about the manufacturing world, and this might be true for B2B, is like they think I don't know who they think makes these decisions, right? Because the marketing is so doggone ugly, right? It's got a picture of a machine or it's got some analogy of people like going down a waterfall, like, like these analogies that make no sense. And it looks like, you know, some high school kid did it, you know, on their home computer. And it's a, so there was like this understanding that B2B, and by the way, my degree is in industrial marketing, right? So there's like this assumption that a buying center makes a decision. These, these nebulous non-humanoids somehow decide very logically that they're going to buy something. And it's often like, it doesn't have to be pretty. And that never sat well with me. Never, ever, ever. People make buying decisions. And so they usually don't have a complex rubric that's helping them make that decision. Oh, and like what I, what the, the, the visual I always thought of myself is here is this uh, purchasing guy who works for like widget, ABC widget company, uh, Acme, like from the, from the, what's his name? Wiley oh my coyote. God, the, 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 yeah, the coyote, right? He works at Acme and he, he's making purchasing decisions all day long. He gets in his car and he looks at all this ugly marketing stuff and he gets in his car and he goes to the store and he buys like toothpaste and mouthwash and all kinds of stuff. So did that person suddenly change? Like what happened between the time that this person walked out of their office and walked into the grocery store 
thing. There's still that same person and everyone deserves to have beautiful marketing that connects emotionally to their ideal customer. Everyone deserves that. And And that's my story. I've always been nuts about that. Yeah. That's what it takes to, to become a priority, to not be lost in the litany of products that are out there and to set ourselves apart. Correct. Okay. What is the greatest home run that you've hit in your career so far? I don't ever like that question because I always feel like I'm never good enough. And I bet that everyone relates to that. Uh, most never, people never, never good enough. I suppose from, okay, I, I, I'm totally just going to say it. I'm beyond, yeah. I'm beyond. I ask this question people. so it's, you can have a, an excuse to brag about yourself. So please I hate do. that. This is not a bragging. I wish I had something to brag about. Okay. I've got a couple things I suppose I could. Was, I actually said this to one of my first clients. I'm like, I want to have something to brag about. And I want to say I, 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 you know, had somebody make like, you know, millions of dollars after working with me. And basically what ended up happening, my very first client, Bill Jellen, Mr. Excel, had this huge Excel website, one of the first. And I'm like, dude, you've got like thousands and thousands of people. Why don't you like take all the content that's already there, put it in a book and sell it? I think he's written 40 books so far. Oh my goodness. So he, t- he tells this, and this was like my very first client. I thought that was like, to me, it didn't seem like anything to me. I don't know why he gives me credit. I didn't write the books, right? But I think, you know, maybe it was just that kernel, that one conversation that we had. And, and he, he wanted to be there for his kids. He wanted to build re- a retirement. He wanted to like really enjoy his life. So now when I see him on Facebook and I see him just living the life, Nathan, <laughs> happy with his wife, kids all grown. I mean, to, you know, to think that we've had this relationship for that long and he credits his success to like that little conversation. That was like the least amount of work I did for the biggest payoff. <laughs> yeah, I love it. So the concept there was just repurposing content, take content you've already developed and use it in another way to monetize. And, and that's a very important concept today. There's so many other ways we can do it. You may have a blog and you can turn it into a a book. You, you may have a YouTube channel and you can turn it into a podcast, right? You may have have a series of interviews you've done and you can turn them into an online course, right? Figure out how you can repurpose your, repurpose your content he had, in like 20 different ways. Yeah. Here's what he had that most content marketers don't have. This is why his this strategy was successful. Not because he repurposed content. We did that. That was a doing. He had an insanely, and think about this. This is 19... 99, 2000-ish, yeah, something like, maybe not, maybe 2002-ish. I don't remember. It was a long time ago. But he had a, what is that called? Like a forum with tens of thousands of loyal people. This was the number one thing I asked him. I, like when we were going through the thing, I'm like, wait a minute, let me get this straight. You get like a million hits a week. And you have, I don't know, it might be it's hundreds of thousands by now. It was a long time ago. You know, you have people inside this forum that you have relationships with. He's like, yeah. I'm like, if you gave them something small, would they buy it? He's like, oh yeah, they would. And I'm like, why don't you give them something to buy? I said, you have a giant warehouse. You have a stadium full of people who want to give you money. What are you going to give them? Yeah. 
That's so important. So, right? so I, I just want to make that distinction because you can recreate content all you want. If you don't have a buyer's list, if you don't have an audience that will, you know, buy what you're selling. And then he and I ultimately co-wrote a book. You asked me if I wrote a book. I don't ever list it because it was like ridiculous, but it was a Excel for marketing manager. So I wrote the marketing part and he wrote the Excel part, oh, right? And that cool. was just like a pet project that we did together. So, um, you know, but that, but it, it's all about that buyer's list. You need that. Focus okay. on that. So you're saying the strategy to success is building a list of customers that know, like, and trust you, and then put products into that list. And develop those products based on what they need and want. I mean, and you can build those relationships. I, Nathan, I am like, I just trashed my entire list of like 10,000 people. And I am starting completely from scratch. Why did you do that? I did that because the site has changed over time. My content has changed over time. And people who opted in all those years ago may not want that anymore. Yeah. And, and I made a big mistake back in the day when I was building that list back in, I don't know, 20, 2008. And so it was all about quantity. It was yeah. all about quantity. How big is your list? And when I started seeing open rates go from like 50%, 40, 30, down to like 12%, I was like, I'm spending a lot of time. I have no relationships with these people. And so now I actually... In when you register, when you opt into anything on DIY marketers, you're going to get an email that invites you to schedule some time with me because so I you have literally one-on-one -on -one relationship with one-on-one -on -one relationship. I would rather have 500 people and have 100 or 200 of them be solid than 5,000 people with 200, wow, even though it's the really same good number. Idea. Yeah. It just, it, it, and, and, and I hate to tell you, no, but like it, it, I'm still work. You know what I mean? I trashed everything. You guys, yeah. I rebuilt my site. I just rebuilt the whole thing. And I just launched it like a week ago. Congratulations. That's a really good strategy. What is the biggest failure or mistake that you've made in your career? And what'd you learn oh. from it? The biggest mistake I did was I started DIY marketers and it was supposed to be a membership site except that out of all the training content that I had, I either loved it too much to change it or hated it and wanted to rewrite it. It was like never anything in between. And so then I just started writing. I didn't follow any rules. I didn't do anything you respect then. It didn't even really matter so much. SEO was so new. Um, I just, ultimately I had like 1300 articles on the site and out of all of them, I saved 135. I had guess I tried because my job is to try new things. So I don't beat myself up over it because I had tried. Yeah, I was learned. right. You learn my, I had tried a bunch of new things. I had tried a bunch of new tools. It's my job to try things. So you don't have to. Right. And I think I created a lot of digital dust bunnies. I didn't update things enough. I didn't know specifically what I was talking about, meaning like one day I talk about strategy, another day I talk about meerkat. I mean, really, I was all over the place. And so ultimately what happened, and here is the failure, if that's what you want to call it, right? What ended up happening is I went from 20, 30,000 hits to 15, 
to 12, 10, before I launched mine, I was down 70%. I was down 70%. I mean, that, that was horrible. I'm curious how this change is going to help you, but I, I agree with your strategy where less is more focus on, on a consistent message and focus on the great stuff and don't let it get lost. And sometimes you just need to retool. And sometimes you just need to retool. Technology is such that uh, I had to I had to talk to dozens and dozens and dozens of people, and that is another lesson, right? I did like what everybody does. I find an SEO person, I hire them, they do their thing. There's like a little bit of improvement, then it goes down. Yeah, you know, everybody says trust your gut. I'm not a big trust your gut kind of person because mine's only like half right. But with a lot of data, I finally realized like oh too many articles that weren't being updated. Oh, you had digital dust bunnies. Google couldn't find their way around. People couldn't yeah. find their way around. Like, and so slow, and that took time. And then I had to put it all back together. But now I'm like, the site is super fast. I'm like really focused. And I've made some, some uh, decisions and guides about what's gonna go on the site. And because remember before there weren't, there wasn't LinkedIn. There wasn't like all this stuff when I started. Everything was on the site, but now you have different places where you can put things that's much more appropriate. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So that was okay. a fail. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'm gonna ask this next question, but I think you may have already answered it. So my next question is, what's your best monetization secret or strategy? And you already said, build a list and then build great products, find out what that list of people want and then build great products and sell it into the list. Would you agree that's your best monetization strategy? I would say that 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 is, you know, and you need to find, uh, you know what some things people get caught up on, especially if you uh, have maybe like any academic training in business or marketing or sales, well, you know, back in the day, they used to tell you, you don't wanna have any competition. Anyone who's in digital marketing and I think, no, you actually want competition. That means that you want to see people having a conversation. You want to see demand, right? So you need to find a conversation where there is a demand for that conversation. And then you have to put your own spin on that. So I'm really, really all about focusing the, the more. And it was really hard for me to say, okay, I'm really just going to talk about tools and then certain tools and you know I have to make you have to really really focus and what can I say about tools that someone else is not already said that's going to yeah. be valuable so but by all means building a buyer's list building an email list because email list people are buying people people on social media are not buying people you don't own those what do you feel is the biggest tectonic shift that is changing the business landscape today you know, when we were first starting to automate things, I'm not even talking about email, I'm talking yeah. about all kinds of things, right? And I was talking to a programmer and the programmer said to me, technology, you know that technology is working when it becomes invisible. Yeah. When it becomes integrated into your life and it becomes invisible. And I've always remembered that. And so I think that, you know, a little, a little tiny baby shift that we've already been in and we are continuing to go through is you start seeing things becoming invisible. Our refrigerators can order groceries. You know, there are the, these tools 
our like you know we're on a computer right now but you know who knows what's going to happen we can just as well do this on a cell phone i carry my entire business on a cell phone it's crazy yeah. you know but i think the shift that we're making that's tectonic the technology is moving a little bit faster than our behavior and so the shift that small business owners have to make and they've and they've actually had to do it with this pandemic like on a dime right yep. the shift they've had to make is to suddenly you know to, to incorporate the digital landscape inside their work and so you're going to start seeing uh obviously ai is everywhere but i just gave an example i, I i've i've been exploring writing tools and writing bots forever and ever i've never seen anything like i've seen this particular conversion.ai i mean it's writing cohesive sentences yeah right you have to check it for facts you have to check it for you know your own knowledge of course but it is writing complete and whole sentences the thing is written books the thing is written all kinds of stuff where you know where like 40% of your content is written by a robot so i see AI making certain decisions for us. So whereas we talk a lot about analytics and hacks and things, I think the the uh, inclusion of AI and having it be integrated with so many tools, you're going to start seeing um, decisions become obvious. Like your computer can just say, you need to send an email and it needs to be about X, Y, and Z. Like I could see your computer giving you a potential email to write based yep. on the data that your audience is now the only problem with that is that's like all the good stuff for the folks who are into that kind of thing for the folks who are not into that kind of thing it's going to be a slog yeah it's gonna be a slog and um and of course another thing i worry about i don't know that, that it's a tech at the very same time as we're becoming more dependent on technology Right. So I just had this whole conversation about how technology makes your life easier and AI and all this stuff. I got to tell you, one of my the things we never talked about during this pandemic was how helpful technology was. All it takes is the press of one button for the grid to like just go down. Yeah. So I always also say as much as you need to prepare for doing your business in a virtual way, in a touch-free way for convenience, if anything, you need to start always think about what happens. Well, I see that's my manufacturing background. We call that failure modes effects analysis. You do a plan for the things that can go wrong. Yep. And what can seriously go wrong is your payment system can go down. You can't talk to your customers. The internet goes down. How will you sell? what will you do? And, and I've noticed that we kind of ignore that. I don't know what your thoughts, I don't know that, I don't know if I'm a, a addressing these shifts, but these are maybe very practical. These are potentially tectonic shifts. Yeah, for sure. So what you're talking about is, is preparedness. You're mm -hmm. talking about, and maybe I'm missing it, but at, at the heart or core of what you're talking about is, is taking a moment as a business owner and stepping back and saying, what are the most catastrophic things that could happen to my business? And then what can I do now to mitigate those? And there are some businesses that have done that. They've, they've stepped back and they've made sure that they have the, the right backups of their data in case 
you know, some hacker got in and, and put ransomware on their server. They they made sure that they had delivery orders, right? And and they could deliver people to their houses in case people couldn't come into their stores, right? There there are are businesses and grocery stores that were able to weather the pandemic so much better because they were prepared. They had alternate means to sell to people. And and then that product that some people used became something that everybody wanted to use. And, and, and that's really important is nobody thinks that that disaster is going to happen to them. You know, it's, it's this concept of, of, does that right? We, we hear about airplanes crashing and people getting in car accidents, but nobody really believes that's going to happen to them. But if you look at over a lifetime, all of the different crises that people go through and you take the averages and percentages, the chance of us going through major crisis in our lives and our business is is much much larger than us not going through that and yeah, so and I, I don't mean to be a downer about it i really don't but out of talking to i've done so many of these podcasts so many of these panels so many of these things during this pandemic and the one thing i consistently hear is i wish i had a slush fund you know when we were missing yes. toilet paper sometimes just in time is not the right answer Right. And that, that's why we ran out of toilet paper, because we had technology and everyone was like, oh, inventory is bad. We don't want inventory. And I'm always like, I don't know, kind of like I got a couple things of toilet paper because I want to have some inventory. Right. So um, I think that we got a little too comfortable. The number one thing I, I heard people say is I wish I'd had a slush fund. And I think that a lot more people I know I am for sure have taken steps in their business to make sure that there's money there. I know I'm being really practical and pragmatic. You no, can see that's... my value. What's the most bang your, for your buck? And it's not going to be buying some new fancy thing. And it's not going to, it, I believe I'm always about thinking it through. What is that, yeah. uh, you know, what is that saw? Sharpen the saw, right? Yeah. Stephen Covey from Seven Habits with Highly Effective People. Sharpen, spend your time sharpening your saw. And and I think instead of doing it all in big things, just like one small thing. Yeah. You know, right. always like, you know, I have a coach who's like a very, I have a client who's a very, very successful coach. And she always says to her clients, stay in the step you're in. Yeah. So pick one thing, double down. Okay, so I'm hearing three really great bits of advice here. You said basically take a little bit of time and get prepared and especially put a little bit of money away for a rainy day. And and you talked about sharpen the saw. So what you're saying there is reinvest in yourself, learn something new, um, in, invest in developing a new core competency, right? De um, in, invest in and the concept there is is so that instead of it taking a long time to to saw down a tree with a dull saw, invest in sharpening your saw so you can saw it down in a very short period of time. It's a, you know, Tay, honestly, you know, I'm waiting for you to ask me the question like everybody does. How do you do marketing on $17 a day? I'm getting there. <laughs> you know, and, and I, I think the sharpening the saw is speaking to that, which is think it through. Yep. Think it through. So you might say you might have experienced this disruption. So like today, it was a pandemic back in 2008. It was financial. We know it's going to be something. That's right. Something is going to take you down. If the internet were to go down tomorrow, how would you sell? Yeah. So just how like would you survive as a business? That. Yeah. Think about that. Like, hmm, 
would I do direct mail? How would they get there? Can I go see people? Should I do that? You don't have to do anything about it, but just like take some notes and pack it off to the side. Think, think it through. Right. And, and that one scenario you're talking about is only one scenario, right? There's a dozen different scenarios we need to think through. Yes, because, well, this is just standard SWOT stuff, right? We're talking yep. about threats analysis right now, right? We talked a little bit about opportunity. We're talking about threats. And I don't think that, that I haven't seen, I shouldn't say I don't think, I haven't seen in my anecdotal experiences with business owners recently that there was that uh, intentional thought about what could take your business down. And it could be yeah. like a new law. That's it could right. Be, could you be know, a regulation. It could be ransomware with some hacker who takes your, your site and data hostage, right? There's so many exactly. scenarios it could be. Right. And what can we do today to prepare so that those things aren't nearly as big of emergencies? Exactly. And you might start by saying, I'm going to stash, you know, 10 or 20% from every invoice I collect. That's what I do. I, every time I put out an invoice, every time that invoice gets paid, 10 to 20% goes off into another account. Right. Yep. You pay yourself because. first. Thank you so much, Ivana, for sharing your stories and insights with us today. Here's some of my key takeaways from this episode. Number one, we should think through potential scenarios and make a plan for them. If we do this, we'll be better equipped to handle unexpected tectonic shifts when they come. Number two, we should prepare for things as soon as we can, but we shouldn't agonize over how we're going to prepare for every worst case scenario. We simply can't be ready for everything. Number three, putting money aside is a great way to prepare. We can start by saving 10 to 20% of what we earn for a rainy day. Number four, to sharpen the saw, we should reinvest in ourselves by learning something new, developing a new core competency, or by developing skills we already have. Number five, everyone deserves to have beautiful marketing that connects emotionally to the ideal customer. Number six, repurposing content is a great strategy to get information to people in different accessible formats. And number seven, we should ensure we have the right audience, organized content, and that our content and products fit our audience's wants and needs. If you enjoyed this episode and want to connect with Ivana, you can learn more about her on LinkedIn or Twitter or on her website, DIYmarketers.com. And there's links to each of those sites in the blog post for this episode at monetizationnation.com. You can also get a free ebook about passion marketing and learn how to become a top priority of your ideal customers at passionmarketing.com. You can also subscribe to Monetization Nation on YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, our Facebook group, and on your favorite podcast platform. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode. I wish you success as you work to build your venture. Do you want to become a better digital monetizer? To receive great monetization stories and secrets, please go to monetizationnation.com and join free. And if you liked today's episode, please subscribe to the show and share it.